Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. scripture that we've started with every week and that is Ephesians 4:26. brother Zach I didn't send anything to you because I've got one launching scripture and there's going to be a lot of practical teaching tonight so I don't have a whole lot of biblical stuff so unless I just throw something at you should be pretty smooth sailing tonight so we're going to start with Ephesians 4:26. be ye angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil Pastor, would you take us to God in prayer tonight? Jesus, I thank you, Lord, tonight. Have your way, God. We need you, Jesus, God, to speak to us, Lord, God. Help us, Lord, to follow the leading, God, of your spirit, Lord. We need you, God, to show us, teach us, God. Thank you, God. I praise you, Jesus. I give you the glory. I give you the honor, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. One other little thing, this is just kind of a total side note. If you're not on Facebook, you might not know. But um, I kind of did a thing and just for a point of outreach, and I, I launched out there and joined a softball league here in Mount Carmel with a bunch of ladies, and I just said, just put me on a team. Lord, you know who I need to be with, what team I need to be on. So for the next several Thursday nights, if you're not doing anything, you can come out there to 4th Street to the ball field and watch your pastor's wife look stupid and uh, – Maybe hopefully hit a ball and not strike out. But um, I just figure it's a great way to meet people. And if any of y'all come, it's a great way to intermingle with those that are in the stands. So, you know, who knows what might come of it. I just trust God. He knows. So, anyway, just put that little plug in there. So, plus, you might even get some real incriminating pictures that you can embarrass me with, you know. But I don't get embarrassed too easy, so I don't look, care to look crazy. But anyway, so aside from all that. So it's been a couple weeks since we've been in here talking about anger. So like I've done each week, I want to kind of just run through just real quick a summary and just kind of summarize our last three lessons. I'm going to do this very quickly. Roll with me. If you've not heard these lessons and it piques your interest, they are on podcast, but I'm going to be real quick. Number one, anger is not a sin. It is an emotion. It's a combination of emotions. Number two, the origin of anger resides in the nature of God mainly his love and his holiness. Number three, because God responded in anger to injustice, to evil, and to sin. And it's okay for us to feel the same. Number five, the purpose, oh, sorry, number four, anger is evidence that we are concerned with right and wrong. And number five, the purpose of anger is to motivate us to positive action that results in a better outcome. That was lesson one. Second lesson, we talked about, okay, so this is anger, the origin, but how do we handle our anger? And so we went through the five-step process. One, consciously acknowledging to yourself, I'm angry. It's okay to be angry. It's not wrong. I am angry. Number two, that we restrain our immediate response. We don't just immediately shoot from the hip the moment we feel angry. Number three, we locate and decide what's the focus of my anger. What has caused me to be angry? Who am I angry at? Why am I angry? Number four, we analyze our options. What are my options with this anger? Do I lovingly confront them? Do I let it go? How do I deal with this? And number five, once you went through all those, then you take constructive action because you're hoping for a better outcome. 
Because God designed anger to have productive outcomes. We talked about last time on the third lesson about how Satan has twisted anger. He's perverted it. He's perpetuated lies about it, that all anger is of equal value. Um, we talked about definitive anger, where you're angry when a wrong has truly been done. When you have truly been done wrong, a wrong has occurred. And we also talked about distorted anger, when you perceive something wrong was done, but it wasn't truly a wrong. Most people we talked about deal with anger in one of two ways. You have the explosive type of anger, where they have outbursts, they might yell, throw things, have verbal insults, they rant, they rave. And then there's the other type of people that have anger, and they have implosions. They bury it all down inside and let it just simmer inside. They might have, it might be evidenced through like they give the silent treatment. They withdraw. They brood. They become passive aggressive. Maybe when someone asks them to do something and they just ignore it or they do it half-heartedly, things like that. And then if we have unresolved anger that we don't deal with and we let it stay, it can build up over time and can lead to things like bitterness and hate. So then we have to admit it, we have to reveal it to a trusted friend, and that's when we decide, do I need to confront or should I release it to God? So those are the kind of some of the things that we discussed in the last three lessons about anger. So tonight, we're going to talk about two different things. We're going to talk about when you're angry at your spouse and helping children handle anger. And again, I know that you say, Sister McGee, you tell us this every week, but I'm also conscious of the fact that each week this goes on podcast, and someone might listen to one podcast and not the rest, and I need to give credit to where my material is coming from. And this book is Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion by Gary Chapman. That's the book where the majority of my information is coming from. So I want to give credit to him because he authored this book, so um, I want to give that credit to him. Dr. Chapman said, most married couples have never learned how to handle anger properly. Marriage becomes a battlefield, each spouse accusing the other of firing the first shot. If the couple do not learn to properly handle their anger, they will never have a satisfying marriage. I say never because love and uncontrolled anger cannot coexist. Love seeks the well-being of the spouse, while uncontrolled anger seeks to hurt and destroy. So if couples are going to survive, then we have to learn how to handle our anger within the bounds of marriage, too. So we're going to discuss some steps in marriage. And some of these are kind of a little bit of tongue and groove with our second lesson about how we process anger with a little bit more of a slant on our married relationships. Number one, acknowledge the reality of the anger. You don't have to condemn yourself or your spouse for feeling angry. And you don't have to deny to yourself, I'm angry. My spouse is angry. And the thing is, when you give your spouse the right to be angry, you're basically just giving them the right to be human because everyone feels anger at some point. So that's pretty simple, number one. Number two, you agree to acknowledge your anger to each other. Now, for some people, this is more difficult. You say, well, what do you mean acknowledge to each other? That means letting them know that you're angry. And you might say, well, yeah, duh. Well, but sometimes we play these guessing games where they got to try to figure it out based on our behavior. Maybe we're the implosion type, so suddenly we're giving them the silent treatment, and they don't know if we're sick or what's going on, and really we're angry, but we haven't acknowledged it to them. We haven't let them know. And so then they got to guess. And in your mind, you've been done wrong, and you're feeling angry. And at that moment, if you're angry at them, their inappropriate behavior, whether it's definitive or distorted, 
that creates a barrier, doesn't it? When you're angry at someone, you don't want to love them. You don't want to do for them. When you're mad, I mean, you might throw their food on a plate, but it's like, you don't care. You're just slopping it on there, you know. There's your dinner, you know, or you know what I'm saying. Oh, you asked me to get the trash. Okay, fine. And they're just, and they're just throwing it out there. You know what I'm saying? Behavior evidence. And so they just know at that moment, uh, yeah, I think there's anger. And it usually becomes pretty evident, but they shouldn't have to guess while, the, while you are angry or while I am angry. So it's important that you acknowledge it. Your spouse deserves to know. Your spouse can't work on a problem that they're not aware of. Repeat that. Your spouse cannot work on a problem that they are unaware of. You can be mad at them, and they figure out that you're mad at them, but they don't have a clue why you're mad. What did I do? Is it distorted? Is it a perceived wrong? One of those things where, like, I know I must have done something, but I ain't got a clue what it is. You know, just suddenly they're mad at me. I don't know what I did. Or maybe it's something definitive, but it could still be that maybe there was something truly wrong done, and they don't even recognize it until you tell them, right? One of the things we talk about marriage counseling, nobody's a mind reader. Nobody's a mind reader unless God just reveals it, which a lot of times in the midst of that moment, when you're angry with your spouse, you ain't listening for the voice of God. I guarantee you, you're mad. So we got to stop and take some moment to figure it out. So couples who learn to be open and transparent, to share information, they have a whole, a big, better chance of solving anger in that productive way that needs to happen. Number three, both spouses need to agree that verbal or physical explosions that attack the other person are absolutely not appropriate responses to anger. Because this type of response, it just causes greater damage and more stress. At times, you'll probably lose your cool. We all have, we all do. At some point, we are going to again. But then we have to apologize. We have to take the step to ask for forgiveness. And the thing is, that just creates an extra step. Because when there's been an explosion or when there's been some type of outburst and there's, someone's lost their cool and lost their temper, you kind of got to clear that debris and kind of heal that wound before you can then move on to the issue that caused the anger in the first place. So it kind of just creates an additional problem. And I'm not saying that these are easy things to do. But one benefit we have is the Holy Ghost. And God will help us do the things that are impossible with man. And things that we feel like we can't do on our own. If we stop in that moment and say, God, I need your help right now. I need the Holy Ghost to help me. He will help us. He will absolutely help us. And that wasn't right here in my note. But when I was over there praying tonight before this service, I felt that in prayer that God was just impressing. You know, these things may be difficult for man. But with my spirit, you can do this. It is not impossible. With his help, we can do all things through Christ. So this type of response, when we explode, like I said, it just it creates debris that has to be dealt with, and then we can move on to the original issue. Now, maybe you're not the person that explodes, but maybe you're married to someone that tends to explode in anger. And if that's the case, and maybe they're working on their process to better how they deal with anger, then you guys need to put a plan in place when you're not angry prior to that moment. And maybe decide, look, if you start to explode in anger, here's my plan. I'm walking away. I'm taking a walk around the block. I'm stepping out of the room. I'm just, I'm getting away. I'm stepping away. Because at that point, if you both agree to this, then the one who is doing the exploding and they see them turn. And the thing is, 
if someone who was exploding in anger and someone turns their back on them and goes out, a lot of times that's just going to escalate the anger. But if you've made the plan, look, if you get to the point that you're exploding and it's not benefiting the conversation, I'm letting you know in advance that I'm going to step away from the situation. Then they know that you're not doing that to incite more anger, but you're stepping away. And hopefully that'll click in their mind. Oh, wait, I must be exploding because they're leaving. And then you have to come back whenever there's been some calming down in order to have the discussion. So if you both agree to this, then the one who explodes will know, hey, I've gone too far. I need to take a moment and calm down. Or maybe a timeout is in order. Um, you know, along the way, we've counseled people. If they have an explosive type of anger, they made to give themselves a timeout. They just made to look at their spouse and say, I am too angry right now. I can't talk about this. I need to step out. I need to go take a walk around the block. I need to put some laps in the backyard. I'm taking the dog for a walk. I'm going to go get some milk, whatever. But they may know themselves. If I stay here right now, I'm so mad. I can't talk about it. I need to step away to calm down. And that's okay, too. And that's actually really good because then that person who tends to explode is acknowledging, I need the moment to step away and calm down. Because it's a lot better than the spouse looking at them and saying, you need to time out. You know, that's... <laughs> that ain't going to work too good. But it is important that if you get to that point where there's angry outbursts, the type of conversation you have is not going to be productive, and you guys know that. I'm not saying anything new. So a timeout may be in order, and it can be vocalized, hey, we need to take a break and calm down. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when there's anger going on and there's issues and there has to be a step away, this is just kind of a side note because we're talking about marriage, you can't leave the issue indetermined for an unknown amount of time. If there needs to be a timeout and a step away, look, I can't talk about this right now, but let's talk about it tonight after we put the kids to bed, you know, around nine-ish, or tomorrow when I get in and we have some time to sit down to dinner and I've had time to just process, then that can help as well. And sometimes, I know that in the past, there have been some times whenever um, my husband and I, when maybe we've had a spit spat or something like that, and he was working a job or we were apart, I would sit down and just type an email of, you know, I'm not mad, but here's how I feel. This is my perspective. And I would send the email. And for him, with the type of person he is, he has to process. He has to think things through. I can just shoot from the hip. You ask me a question, bam. My husband, he needs to think about it before he expresses his thoughts. So I could share Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Well, he could read that email 20 times if he wanted to. And then when we came together, we had really good productive conversations because he was able to read that in peace and in calmness and things like that. So that was beneficial for both of us. So that may be something that can help um, someone that may have similar personalities. Number four, agree, agree to seek an explanation before passing judgment. Now, what this means is so many times we misinterpret the words or the actions of our spouse. We think we know what they did. We assume something. We see something. We think we hear something. Maybe we think we heard them say something on the phone, and it just makes us so mad. No, that's not what I said, you know. Um, I wasn't even talking about you or, you know, so things like that where we misinterpret the words and the actions of our spouse. So it's so important that before we just confront that we need to take a step back and ask. We reserve our anger. We restrain that initial response as tentative until we get an explanation. Remember, your first impression is only tentative because at times it will be faulty. How many people sitting in here could say that you've had people misinterpret your words or misinterpret what you said, misinterpret what you meant, or they, I saw you, I know. 
No, that's not what I was. They've misinterpreted your actions. Every single one of us have been misunderstood, haven't we? And so we need to allow that same type of grace and mercy to our spouse that, is it possible I misinterpreted that? And maybe you didn't. Nope, that's exactly what I said. Okay, then let's have a talk. But I'm saying before we pass judgment, we need to step back and say, what did they mean? What did they say? Did you assume that your spouse did something out of irresponsibility, forgetfulness? Maybe you assume they did that out of spite. I know they did that because they know I don't like it. I know that, you know, I'm saying we, we misinterpret, you know, things like that. Dr. Chapman said, if actions and words are open to misunderstanding, motives are even more difficult. Since motives are internal, bless you, we can never know another person's motives unless he or she tells us. We often attribute motives to our spouse that are totally off base. You know, even in a court of law, if you, they start to give some testimony and they say, well, they came in there because they were thinking they were going to, and they stop and they say, no, you can't attribute what their motive was. That calls for the reading of the mind and you don't have that ability. So you're not able to do that. So if words and actions can be misinterpreted, how much more at times can motives be interpreted? And that calls for saying, this is why they did that. And many times, motives are misinterpreted because you don't have all the information. And I just speak from that, not in a marriage aspect, but even like among the church, leadership may do something, and people are like, why in the world did pastor do that? And it's probably mostly just because the information is confidential, not able to be shared, and we just had to do what we knew was the right thing. And people look at it, and all they see is the action, but they don't know the motive. And that happens in marriages. People attribute the wrong motive. Let me read a little thing to you out of here. Jonathan was acting wisely when he said, I may really be misreading this, and that's why I'm asking for an explanation. It appears to me that you charged $300 at Macy's. I thought we agreed that neither of us would spend over $100 without consulting the other until we get our debts under control. He was shocked by his wife's response. Oh, darling, I can explain. Our section at work went in together and bought Betsy a retirement gift. They asked me to pick it up during my lunch hour since I was meeting Ginger at the mall. So I put the whole thing on Visa, but they each gave me $20. It's in my purse. I think I have $300. And since I picked it up, my part is only the tax. Jonathan's anger subsided as he counted the $300. And then he smiled as he remembered what his response would have been six months ago before he began to work on processing anger. So many times we just don't understand what happens. Seek an explanation before passing final judgment. Number five, then agree to seek a resolution. Now this takes calm and open discussion. And many times both the spouses have to bring some type of compromise to the table, a give and take, both sides giving up something. Because it's usually never a, you know, all one person's way, but when two people get married and they blend their lives, their personalities, they make a home together, they bring together two lives and they create their own. And so they bring in things from both sides. And so that requires understanding and compromise from both sides to work it out together. And if a true wrong has been done, then definitely apologies and forgiveness are in order. And with more information from your spouse, you get that information, you get that fuller perspective, then you're ready to find a solution satisfactory to both of you. Now, 
Number six, you agree to affirm your love for each other. Arguments are bad, but making up is better. You express your love for each other because you've decided you're not going to let this event create a wedge. And this means you've got to completely work it out. This goes back to our scripture, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Because anger you deal with that comes in, you work it out, you let it go. But you don't let it stay. Because if that anger stays and it simmers and it keeps being pressed down, you're going towards bitterness and other things that are very unhealthy. So that's why you have to deal with it. You can't harbor or hide that unresolved anger in your heart. And when you do this, you follow this process, then anger served its purpose. And if we've done something wrong, the anger is what allows us to be held accountable for our actions. Because if we're truly in love with our spouse and we've done wrong, it may take a little bit of our pride taking a hit, but we'll stop and say, you know what, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And that brings the best outcome. What you have to watch out for is that you don't let distorted anger constantly be a problem. And this means when you get angry with your spouse over and over and over again about perceived wrongs. I think I was done wrong. I think I was done wrong. I think I was done wrong. You create anger. And anytime there's anger, it's got to be dealt with, whether it's distorted or definitive. But when there's this constant cycle, just always get angry over every little thing all the time. It becomes a vicious cycle. And then, then that person that's constantly being angry, they may develop this idea of always being right and being offended. And, man, that can just snowball. Turns into unresolved anger. It can lead to bitterness. It can lead to a cold, unloving marriage. It can lead to people sleeping in different rooms. Or even worse, it can lead to divorce. And that's the worst outcome of all. I'm going to pause here for a moment, and I'm going to show you a video. Brother Zach, my first video there, if you could show that for me. Anger is the most destructive force in marriage, period. It is the most destructive. That's why we have to be so respectful of how we get anger out of our relationship. Now, great marriages have anger. Karen and I get angry at each other. That's not the issue. That's, that's just the way it is. But we know how to get it out. Early in our relationship, when we almost divorced, we had, bought, we had aged anger in our marriage that was there for years. And because of that, we couldn't talk about many things. We fought all the time. We had a cycle that we would go for a month or two and then have a huge blow up and then make up and go for another month or two. And by the time that the Lord began to heal our relationship, we were numb we had fought so much. That's a dangerous way to live in a marriage. And so we were never designed by God to be a repository for anger. Anger, we are designed by God for anger to come in and out never for it to stay. That's why the Bible's so insistent on forgiveness, that we, it, we can't endure it. It damages us on every level. So anger comes in and it goes and everything's great. Nothing's been damaged. When anger comes and stays, it is more corrosive than anything we can possibly imagine. And with that anger isn't just an emotion, it's a whole system of thoughts. So you notice how he said that anger that's dealt with today not letting the sun go down upon your wrath. Because like Dr. Chapman said, anger is not meant to be a resident. It's meant to be a visitor. It comes in. It serves its purpose. You don't let the sun go down on your anger. You deal with the issue, and the anger goes out. It doesn't stay. So what I've just handed you, this is something very practical. And some people might say it's very elementary. But I think this can be something that can actually be very helpful. 
And it's just a practical exercise for something that can help you deal with anger in your marriage. And the card says, I'm feeling angry right now, but don't worry, I'm not going to attack you. But I don't need your, but I need your help. Is this a good time to talk? And so what I want you to do with this card is, one of the issues is sometimes we have trouble acknowledging our anger to ourselves or acknowledging it to the other person in the house that we need to talk to. So I want you to put this on your fridge or an easily accessible place. And when you're feeling angry and you just don't feel like you have the words or to even talk about it right now, you can just take that card and just read it. I'm feeling angry. Don't worry, I'm not going to attack, but I need your help. Is now a good time to talk? Okay? And so you just read that. And if it's not a good time, set one. Okay? Oh, you're not ready to talk? That's fine. When can we? Set a time. Don't leave it undetermined because if you leave it empty or open-ended, there's a good chance you might not get to it, and then it just becomes a buried issue. It gets swept under the rug and not dealt with, okay? Because then they're waiting on you and you're waiting on them, but if you bring it up. So keep that card, and anybody can grab it and say, I'm feeling angry. I need to talk. It's very simple, okay? You might say, I don't even want to take this card and read it to them. You could just set it at the dinner table or set it on their pillow. Just somehow convey, I'm angry and I do need to talk, okay? And if you say, oh, that's silly, I don't need that, well, the next time if you have a moment that you're angry and it ends up in an argument, you might stop and say, you know what, that card actually might have been a good idea. So it's just for helping create the process and just as a reminder. And even if you don't grab the card, even if you just remember what it says so they can help start the right kind of conversation, okay? At that time of discussion, you present it in a way that you're open to listening, that you're gathering information. I need to understand motive. I need to understand action. This could be a misunderstanding. I'm feeling angry. This is why. Can you clarify? Can you explain? Because I want to resolve this. And here's the thing. Remember all the way back to the beginning, anger is not a sin. Anger is not the enemy. It's not the enemy. It's not bad. But you can actually view anger as a friend, like, as a friend, yeah. It's kind of like the, <laughs> yeah, of all days, this is in my lesson. It's kind of like the warning light on your dash that something isn't right. Something's off and something needs attention. And sometimes you can ignore that light and you can just go on and drive. And then there can be really bad problems. Ask me. I know. Trust me. But it's that warning light. There's a problem. We need to talk about it. Something's not right. This is the warning light. But you have to address it. If you ignore it, you're going to have bigger problems later on. And, you know, when those warning lights come on your dash, they have a thing now that you can go, and I know many of you guys will be familiar with this, they plug it into that machine and they can run the codes and they can tell you, well, here's where your problem is right here. This is what your issue is. There's a sensor inside the ball bearing on the right front tire that needs replaced. I mean, they can get down to the nitty-gritty. And that's kind of what needs to happen with discussions whenever you're angry. You need to get to the root cause of what caused the anger. You need to get to the original issue. Because if you start worrying about how they're behaving and, and you're so caught up in the drama of the anger that you don't really deal with the issue. You know, I'm sorry I got angry. I'm sorry I acted that way. But you never talk about what caused the anger in the first place. You have not really made any progress. You just kind of buried it and smoothed it over. And it looks okay, but you're driving the car and the warning light's still going on. Right? Now, Christian couples, people in this room... You can use anger in that positive way. And like I talked about at the beginning, with the help of the Holy Ghost, God, will, God wants our marriages to be successful. He wants us to make it. And we, he wants to help us come to an agreeable solution. 
And here's at the end of the day, though, it takes two people. It takes two people in a marriage that are both committed to this process to make it work. If one's checked out, if one ain't willing, you can only do so much. It's going to take both of you. If one spouse decides that they're going to choose to be stubborn, unforgiving, maybe they're always right, they're not open to discussion, you can imagine and bet there's going to continue to be problems. There's going to continue to be unresolved anger. And men, despite what you may have been told or raised to believe, it is okay to talk about your feelings. It doesn't make you a sissy. It doesn't make you a wimp. It doesn't make you feminine. No. It makes you compassionate. It makes you caring. It makes you merciful. And if you want to see about a man that was okay with his feelings, you can look at Jesus in the Bible. Because he sat and wept. He mourned with Martha and Mary. You can look all throughout the scripture where he was showing compassion and kindness to his disciples, even from the cross. Even from the cross, trying to make sure that people were cared for and that his mom was looked after and all these things. It's okay. You don't have to sweep it under the rug, act like it didn't happen, try to be strong. It's okay. You can talk about it. And ladies, on us, we got to get past going around for hours or days giving the silent treatment or being passive-aggressive, purposely making his dinner cold, maybe not washing his favorite shirt, you know, whatever it may be. This is not about revenge. It's about peaceful resolution so you can both move forward. And at the end of the day, you know what that takes? It just takes a little maturity. Because sometimes we get mad and we forget all about being mature. We get real immature sometimes. One thing I've mentioned in marriage counseling, I think it's applicable to say here, is that we need to pick our battles. Not every little thing that we get aggravated or frustrated over is worth a confrontation. Some things you acknowledge are really not that important, and it's okay to let it go. It's okay. You have to decide what's most important to you and what you deem requires a serious conversation. If it's a little aggravation and you're like, you know what, it's really not that important to me, but I know it's way more important to them, you can let it go. If it's something like you're going to rise or fall or die on that island, have the conversation, have the confrontation, but it's okay in a marriage just to release some things and let them go. You don't have to have a confrontation over every little thing. And if you do, if you constantly bring up every little thing that makes you angry, then you're probably going to develop a reputation as a nag. Then you run the risk. And here's what the problem is. You shoot yourself in the foot when you do that. Because then when there are truly matters that are truly important to you that you want to talk about, they're just overlooked as just another one of the things that they're nitpicking about. That's just another thing that they don't know what really matters to us when we have constantly just made a habit of getting angry over every little thing. That's why it's so important to pick your battles. Because we want to be taken seriously when we stop and have that conversation or that moment. So pick your battles, be open to explanation and more information, be open to compromise, be transparent and understanding. And these are skills that don't always happen overnight. You have to be purposeful about incorporating them into your relationship. Anger is temporary. Relationships are lasting. Anger was never meant to be a resident, only a visitor. So now we're going to move into our second issue tonight, and that's helping children handle anger. Lemon Abbott said, do not teach your children never to be angry. Teach them how to be angry and sin not. Michelle, a single mom, is trying to prepare Sunday lunch. Meanwhile, six-year-old Ella and eight-year-old Will are playing in the den. At least Michelle thought they were playing. 
But suddenly, it sounds more like warfare than play. As Michelle walks into the den, she sees Will hit his sister across the back with a stuffed bear. Ella begins to cry. She stole my book, Will says. I did not. Michelle grabs Will by the arm, plants a little blow to his backside, and says, go to your room and don't come out till I call you. Then she turns to Ella and says, how many times have I told you not to mess with your brother's things? I didn't, Ella protests. I was just trying to get on the couch to watch TV, and he hit me. I don't want to hear it, Michelle says. I can't even get lunch ready without you two fighting. You two go to your room, and I'll call you when lunch is ready. You always blame me, Ella says as she runs to her room. In the kitchen, Michelle hears Ella's door slam, and she sighs. She knows she could have handled the episode better, but how? Common, common. How many people say, oh, wow, that I, sounds familiar. Helping our children. Many parents feel so ill-equipped on how to teach their children how to handle anger. And when then we observe our children handling anger inappropriately, a lot of times as parents we panic. And then we turn around and respond negatively ourselves. Then we end up at our wits end. We respond to their anger with our own anger. And then later we're in a cycle because then we end up feeling regret and we feel guilt and I'm a terrible parent and I handled that horribly. But we don't have to teach our children to experience anger, right? They will. You don't have to teach them, you know, to feel anger. They're going to feel anger all on their own. The first time they fall down, the first time they think someone took their toy or they didn't get the ice cream that they wanted because mom and dad said no, oh, you're, they're going to have anger, aren't they? They will. So what we have to do then is not teach them to experience anger but how to manage it. The problem is the principles of this are easy to understand, what I'm going to talk about, but not necessarily easy to do. And we for sure need the help of the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to show a quick video, our next video, Brother Zach, if you don't mind. And some of you may be familiar with this story. Hey, son. Got something for you. Hey, you don't want to be angry all the time, do you? All right, come on. I want to show you something. So whenever you start to feel angry, whenever you lose your temper, what I want you to do is I want you to take a nail and I want you to hammer it into that fence over there.
dead. I haven't been a nail for a week. That's great, son. I think I learned to control my temper. You did really well. Now, I want you to remove all these nails. Good job, son. Now, look at all the holes in this fence. It's never gonna be the same. When you say things out of anger, it leaves scars, like these holes. Words are so powerful, they can create or destroy worlds. Create a world of good, son. So in that video, he was working with his kid on how to control his temper because I know you couldn't hear it right at the very beginning of that video, but as soon as he came out of the door, he hollered back and he said, I hate you. And so his dad tried to find a way to constructively show him that words mean something. My um, grandma McBroom, she would always say, once you say it, you can't take it back. And that's the thing about anger. If we don't restrain our initial response, Sometimes we do so much damage with the words that we spew that they do leave lasting scars in that moment. I remember in the back with the kids, we were talking about anger and controlling our temper and things we don't mean, and we did a little contest, and we had the two kids sit across from each other, and we gave them each a tube of toothpaste. We said, okay, here's the contest. The first one to squeeze all their toothpaste out is the, you're going to be the first one. And so we said, go. They just started doing it, you know. And before you know it, they had a plate full of toothpaste, and one of them was the winner. And I'm like, okay, that was part one. Now part two is the first one to get all that toothpaste back in the tube. They're like, what? And at that moment, I said, that's the thing with words. When we speak hateful words to people, you can't take them back. They will always know that you said that to them. And whether we're a kid or a parent speaking to our kid out of anger, we have to restrain and teach our kids to restrain because it can leave scars in their life and their relationships with people. And so it's so important. So many times though, we just, we feel inequipped. But there's a few things that we can do that can make a difference in our kids' lives that can really help them with this really important issue. And the first one may surprise you because it kind of doesn't have anything to do with anger at all. And that's that as a parent, we have to meet our child's need for emotional love. We have to learn their love language Find ways to express love to our child that way. Because if their emotional love tank is empty or low, they're going to feel a lot angrier. Because absence of love and they don't feel loved, they're going to start building feelings of frustration and anger. And this is not a once-in-a-while thing or a one-time thing. This is something we have to do on a daily basis. Because our love for our kids should mirror the love of Christ. And it can be difficult sometimes, but... We should seek to always have unconditional love for our kids because we love our kids no matter what, right? Because as a kid, we did things we knew were, we shouldn't do that upset our parents, but we knew they still loved us. And our kids need to know that while I may not always agree with your actions and your behaviors, I love you, and I will always love you. 
Because sometimes we make the mistake of only showing love to our kids when they are in a good mood or when they're acting appropriate or when they're being good. Is our love for our kids based on their behavior? Of course not. But sometimes parents withhold expressions of love when their kids misbehave. It's okay to be loving and disciplined at the same time. I mean, I know whenever my kids were younger, if they got in trouble and my husband had to discipline them, he never failed, not one time after they were disciplined, to hug them and say, I love you. It's my job as a parent to teach you, to train you. I want you to know I don't like to have to discipline you, but I love you. They knew, even though we didn't agree with their behavior, our kids knew we still loved them. But sometimes parents withhold expressions of love when they misbehave. But we, our kids have to know, it's my job to teach, but I love you. You can choose mercy, grace, forgiveness. I mean, even if, let's say that, like Michelle, maybe the kid's been fighting with their siblings all day. You can still hug them and thank them for doing a good job eating their dinner or picking up their toys, right? It doesn't mean that you approve of their bad behavior, but they come to understand mom and dad are going to love me no matter what. It helps in the long run because they will eventually become more responsive to your requests. You build the relationship. You build the trust. They know mom and dad love me. And the message that they receive is, I love you no matter what you do. I don't always like or agree with some of the things you do, but I will always love you. A child's need for love, it's like food. You can't store up food in your body. You have to have it on a daily basis. And that's the way kids need love. They need it on a daily basis. And any way that we can help our children, another way, is by modeling healthy behavior. Basically, this just means we example good behavior to them. Okay? Because kids are going to imitate what they see their parents do. Right? How many times has your kid repeated something you're, you said in private and they said it in public? And you're like, oh, me, oh, my. Right? Like, oh, man. Kids will typically respond to anger in the way their parent in whose personality they are most closely like. So if you have a father and his daughter has a personality similar to his, she'll most likely respond in anger the way her father does. Okay? They mimic the behavior of the parent that most closely is related to their personality. So if that's the case then if there's an issue with anger in our kids, we need to stop and say, is there an issue with anger in me? we got to work on ourselves. Because, you know, you don't want to say, do what I say and not what I do. That's not very effective, right? So we change any destructive patterns that we have. And the truth of the matter is we've all lost our temper with our kids at one time or another. I've had to apologize to my kids for how I handled my anger. I've gotten aggravated and I've yelled. And I had to come back and say, you know what? I was very unhappy with the behavior, but I shouldn't have yelled at you. I've had to come back and say, I'm sorry. I didn't address it correctly. Kids are observant. Are they not? And if we are always having trouble controlling our anger and frustrations, then we're not really in a good place to help teach them to control their anger. Because part of teaching is by example. Then we short-circuit our own lesson, right? Those cards that I passed out tonight, I gave you one for your household because when you put it on the fridge, kind of put it in the middle place where not only you can reach it, but your kid can reach it. And say, you know what? If you're mad and you're angry, go get that card and bring it and say, I'm angry. Then a parent can say, you are? Okay, why are you angry? Tell me about it. 
It opens a door of conversation, okay? So put it somewhere where the kids can reach it. It's okay to let kids express their feelings and let you know why they're angry. Now listen, it doesn't mean that it might change the outcome. Your decision may be firm, okay, about what they're mad about. You have to go to bed tonight 30 minutes earlier because we have to get up early tomorrow. I don't want to get up earlier. That's so unfair, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it goes and grabs the angry card and runs back. I'm angry. Can we talk about this? Yes, tell me why you're angry. Well, I'm upset. It seems so unfair that I have to go to bed earlier, and I'm such and such years old. You know what? I bet you are angry that you have to go to bed a little bit earlier. I understand you don't like it. We are getting up earlier, and I know it's going to be harder for you to get up early. But I understand it probably does upset you that you're angry. Okay? You've let them. You've heard them out. You've acknowledged that they're angry. But you kept the same outcome. You stuck to your guns, but you let them express why they're angry. There's been many times my kids have not been happy with the decision that my husband and I have made. And we've just said, look, I know you're not happy about this. And it's okay. They've expressed their feeling. And I said, you know what? I'm sure that you do feel that way. But sometimes it's my job to be your parent and not your friend. And I know it upsets you. And I've heard you. And it doesn't change the outcome. And they might still be mad. But it sure makes a world of difference when the kid feels like they've been heard and their feelings have been validated. That is so huge, okay? So you recognize it, you validate it. I mean, some simple things, because kids, you know, they might get mad because you asked them to clean their room. You know, they've been playing all day, and you say, you know what, we're gonna take an hour, and you're gonna go pick up, and oh, they just get so mad. Or it's time to do your homework, or it's time to go to bed. And here's the thing, kids know when they are angry, but they may not know how to express it right? So it's our job to guide and teach them how to be angry. A child has two ways to express anger, verbally and behaviorally. And that can be positive or negative. Negative physical outburst, pushing, shoving. They get mad on the playground and they go and just knock the kid over that made them mad. Or throwing things, pulling hair. Maybe they're being hurtful to themselves, and they're just over there banging their head against the wall because they're just so mad. Those are negative physical responses to anger. But on the flip side, there can be a positive physical response. Maybe the kid, hey, I know there's been a couple times I tricked my kids, um, Trevor mainly, and I've been like, I want you to go run 10 laps in the backyard real fast, fast as you can. I'm going to time you right now. And then by the time they run 10 laps, they're wore out. And some of that anger is just like, oh, okay, now we can talk. So it can be uh, going running around the yard, go for a walk, leave the room. I want you to count to 100 right now. Count to 100. And by the time they've done that, one, it distracts their mind for a moment, but two, it just helps with calming them down, okay? And, you know, recently I seen something. It was a post on Facebook about a boy. He was probably about probably eight, nine, something like that. And he was having so many issues with angry outbursts and problems and stuff. And his dad had been getting mad at him and yelling back at him. And this lady put this post up about how the kid was having another meltdown. They were in the truck, and the dad stopped and said, get up here right now. And so the kid knew he better get up there because he's probably fixing to get in trouble. And what that dad did is he grabbed his son, and he set him in his lap, and he wrapped his arms around him and just held him in a bear hug. And she took some photos of him angry and then crying and then calm. Dad just stopped and said, I'm just going to hold you. I love you. And he didn't let him go until he was calm. Because he took a moment to say, you know what, I don't like your behavior, but I do love you. And it changed the outcome. 
Now, verbal expressions of anger, kids, negative, they might yell, scream, call names, you're stupid. You know, they come up with creative, really funny names sometimes. Um, some kids, they might say bad words. Some kids might be hateful, say mean things. You just don't never know when they're verbal and they're just going off on their tirade. But on the positive side, if we can teach them positive things, we want to teach them how to state they're angry without all the name-calling and the ranting, and then ask to talk about it. I'm going to try to hurry up here. I know you guys have been listening for a little bit. So observe your children. See how they deal with anger when it arises. And then take action to move the child from where he or she is to more constructive ways. And then ask yourself, when you see your child acting out an angry outburst, does this look familiar in any way? Are they modeling any behavior that I have done? First, if that's the case, we got to work on ourselves because we can't tell them to straighten up if we're not willing to straighten up. So we got to make ourselves better in this area. And then we got to recognize that kids are kids. And this is the truth because so many times we expect kids to be little adults, don't we? Straighten up, be quiet, sit in the restaurant. We've been here two hours, but don't be making a lot of noise. Don't be squirming. We, we want kids to be little adults and not give them the space to be kids. Kids are immature. They move, they squirm, they don't know, they don't have the impulse control and the self-control that adults should have, right? I say should have because some still don't, but that's another lesson for a different day. Pastor can do that one. But we recognize their kids. And here's the thing. If you know, <laughs> making notes, you all know that if all of us, myself included, struggle with anger and how we express it and how we deal with it, how much more does a child who is immature in their emotions and their intellect have issues with self-control and how they express their anger. We've got to give them some latitude. Because as adults we struggle, the kids definitely will, and they're probably going to handle it in an immature way, in an imperfect way. But then parents get upset, and they want perfection. They want little adults. And they might say things like, be quiet, shut up. You aren't going to talk to me that way. Don't you raise your voice to me again. Do you understand? And many times those type of phrases are said with a raised voice or with yelling. One kid said, my parents yell and scream at me, telling me not to yell and scream at them. I mean, is that not true? So if your child is screaming in anger, we've got to stop and listen. And although it's difficult, we've got to try to stay calm. We've got to ask questions and listen. And if we continue to just say, I see that you're angry. Why are you angry? Did something bother you today? I see that you're stomping your feet. I, I can tell that you're angry. That's how, you know, you start to just acknowledge it, understand, but you stay calm like that. You focus on the reason for their anger and not how they're expressing it, okay? You don't start saying, I'm tired of you stomping your feet every time you get mad. I'm tired of you throwing yourself on the floor and throwing a big old temper tantrum every time you get mad. That's just ridiculous. You shouldn't do that. You need to straighten up. We stop and say, you're mad. Why are you so mad? What, what's got you upset? And I understand that we have to direct and teach behavior and appropriate behavior. I'm not saying you just let kids go wild and do whatever. You all know that's not what I'm saying. Okay? But it's understanding what caused them to express anger in that way. And here's the thing. You may feel that they don't have a right to be angry. Maybe the anger they have is distorted. It's they don't, there wasn't ever no wrong done, but they just perceive it, you know. And they'll stay angry, though until they realize that they have been heard and understood. And this is where you've heard me talk in marriage counseling about drive-through talking and validation. So for example, I may have stored this story before, but 
when I was younger, and we always did the whole, we have a small house, we have yard sales, we have to go through and clean things out, clothes that don't fit, toys that don't get played with, because I always tell my kids, it's the product of replacement. If something comes in, something's got to go out. We don't have room to put everything in here, right? So there came a point in time, been a couple years, there was this black bear stuff up in MRI's bed. She hadn't played with it in like two years, and so put it in the yard sale stuff. Well, probably another year went by, and we happened to be looking through some old pictures, and she saw a picture of that old bear. Where is that bear? I, I, I haven't seen that. Like, And I'm like, well, sis, you hadn't played with that in like two years. You know, it went out in the yard. You sold my bear. Oh, she was mad. She was so upset. And at first, my response is, I don't know why you're so mad. You didn't play with it for two years. I mean, you hadn't even touched that thing. You wouldn't even remember it if you hadn't seen that picture. Okay, that's the first thing, right? Try to justify, whatever. Okay, then after some reading and learning and going through some classes and stuff, I'm like, you know what? That was not the proper response. What the proper response, because there have been a couple times since that it's got brought up again. Because now, the age she is now, she likes to tease me about it. Yep, mom, you stole my bear. You stole my bear. So she likes to tease me about it. But whenever it came up again, I learned to say, you know what? You really did like that bear. You had some really good times with it. And I bet there are times you do feel sad and upset that that bear is gone. Okay? It didn't change the outcome, but it changed her because she felt like she had been heard, that she had been validated, that someone said, you know what? I understand why you feel that way. That's huge for kids. Huge, even if it doesn't change the situation, to know that someone heard them and said the way they're feeling is okay. Because you all know we can't change how we feel. We control our actions, we control what we do, but we can't help how something makes us feel. If we feel embarrassed, if we feel angry, if we feel happy, all those emotions that come how we respond to things, we don't control how things make us feel. We're the parents, we have the final say. But it's so important that our child feels that they can share their feelings with us. And sometimes after you've had those big blow-ups or times when they just had their big temper or whatnot, you might take a moment that night or maybe the next day when they're calm and say something like this, Dr. Chapman said. You might say something like this to your kids. I really appreciate you sharing with me your anger about that situation. We might not always agree, but I want you to know that I always want to understand how you feel. I'm not a perfect parent. Sometimes I don't always make the best decision, but I always want to do what's best. And I hope that both of us can learn how to express our feelings more calmly. But however they are expressed, I always want to hear how you feel and think. Now you might say, my kid is too young to understand all that mumbo jumbo. Well, you put it on their level, right? You just put it on their level. If you feel like you argue with your kid a lot, like they're always back talking and you're arguing, take a moment to say, you know what? You sh I'm going to stop and you just tell me. Because sometimes, and I'm guilty of this because I'm such a talker, that I have to tell myself I need to be a listener. I have to acknowledge this. I need to be a listener. I need to listen. Because sometimes we talk too much and don't listen enough. Okay? And the kids still may not like the outcome, but they will have been heard. So we can't choose how we feel, but how we act. And that's even harder for kids. And that frustration spills over when they feel like no one's listening to them. When they act out physically, like I said, you can say, I see you're angry. I want to hear what's bothering you, but we can't talk while you're thrashing in the floor or while you're stomping your feet or screaming. You say, I want to hear what's made you angry, but we can't talk while you're exhibiting this behavior. Right? So you stop. And then if they truly want, are ready to tell you why they're angry, then they'll calm down and know that you're ready to listen. Because basically you're just acknowledging the anger and your willingness to listen, but you're discouraging the inappropriate negative behavior at the same time. 
And it's really hard because when they're doing that, we just want to jerk them up by their tail and tell them, you go sit in the corner or whatever discipline that we do because our anger starts rising in response to their negative behavior because it makes us mad. And for whatever reason it makes us mad, maybe we're in public and we get embarrassed or maybe we're just so tired. Maybe this has been the fourth time this week and we're just over it. You know, we're just tired of dealing with it. Or maybe we are tired ourselves. But we can't ask them to do something that we have a hard time doing ourselves, okay? The child is a child and therefore is immature. They're still in process and their anger management's not mature. Parents are older and should be more mature. But if we haven't developed a mature response to anger, then at at that point we have to admit, I have a problem and it's not just my child's, okay? Almost done. If we don't get this figured out, the anger will build in the child and then could develop into passive aggressive behaviors. Um, or even more aggressive behaviors, because sometimes if kids get mad, they'll do stuff on purpose they know makes their parents mad. That's going to push their buttons, because they are mad, and so they're going to push buttons to make mom and dad mad, because they know, right? Because a lot of times kids have a lot of distorted anger. They perceive a wrong has been done when maybe it hasn't happened. But this may require your time and explanation to bring a resolution. And along the way, they just need to know that you genuinely love them, you're there for them, and you'll listen to them. Every time there's an angry outburst with your child, you don't always have to look at it as a setback. And we kind of learned this in our addiction class when we was talking about recovery and maybe a relapse or a lapse. You don't look at it as, oh, that's just a setback. You've got to go back to square one. No, you look at it as a learning opportunity. There's a chance to break down and say, okay, why did you act this way? What caused you to get angry? And how can we do better in the future? What caused the triggers? What caused the things? And so those are the things that can help. And lastly... We do have to give instruction. That's part of our job as a parent, is to give instruction. But this can only be effective if we model a healthy example. You know, as it goes back, like I said, we can't say, do what I say, not what I do. So a few ways we can do that. Verbal instruction. We can share stories from the Bible about anger. Cain and Abel, for example. Or Jonah and his anger towards God. Or Jesus and his anger towards the money changers. Or reading some of the Proverbs. You just have to find what works for the age of your child. Memorizing scripture, that's another great form of instruction. Or reading and discussing books. Maybe even writing a paper on anger. I know something we've instituted once in a while at our house is when there's been some type of misbehavior or something we didn't like, instead of getting, like, super mad, we just said, you know what? Go write a one-page paper on that. Include two Bible scriptures about that subject. And they learned, they were so proud of it at the end of the day, they learned about the behavior that was inappropriate and what they learned from it. In fact, so much so it was posted on the cork boards in the hallway that have their names on them because they were proud of that paper they had written and they helped. And so if there's a topic or something maybe they're having issues with or controlling anger, have them go look up some stuff on the Internet. I want you to go Google three articles about anger, you know, because kids love to get on the Internet, right, or get on whatever. So that can be another way. Maybe watching a short film or documentary on anger or have a discussion about feelings, things like that. And finally, open, informal conversation is really good if it allows you to discuss how either of you handle anger in the past and what you're working towards. Because sometimes you can say, you know, I mean, you just open it up by saying, you know what, there's times I've dealt with anger not the best way. Have you ever seen mom do that? You know, well, mom, yeah, there was this one time, and it can create a discussion. It's also good to get our child's perspective of how they view us and the way we deal with anger. Because, man, I'm telling you, kids can be pretty insightful, can't they? Pretty good. If you'll stand with me tonight, at the end of the day, mom and dad, We don't have all the answers, 
And we don't have the final say on anger either. We can't fool our kids because they see the real us. They see the real me. We have to be honest and real because if they see the real us, but we walk around like we don't do no wrong and, and, and we've never made a mistake, the kids see right through that. That's so superficial. So it's so important as parents that we admit when we've done wrong, we apologize when we've lost our temper, and we explain why our behavior was wrong. We've done this in our own home. I'm really sorry. You know what? I acted out of anger. In fact, there's been once in a while maybe the kids have, a, have seen a spit spat between me and Pastor, and they didn't like it. And so me and him have gone to him and said, you know what? We just had a little disagreement. We love each other. We've made up because we wanted to reassure them because they may have seen the argument, but they didn't see the resolution. And so it was important for them to see, you know what, mom and dad worked through this. We had a talk, we worked it out, and everything's cool. And they're just like, oh, mom, dad, we love you, you know. So it was really good. So it's learning points and learning opportunities for them. Our kids will respect us more if we do that. Because then they feel like they have an okay to admit when they've made a mistake. Because if mom and dad make mistakes and they never admit it, then that's what they learn. When I make mistakes, I can't, I can't admit it. i got to hide it. I can't share it. I can't tell it. But when they see us doing it, then they will. So important. Children are precious, and they are usually willing to forgive us for failing and to manage our anger if we're willing to admit that we failed. So in this way, we're not just teaching them right and wrong. We're giving them space to admit when they fail and that they can try again. So it's really important we help our kids because all these things, if we work on anger in our marriage and we work on anger with our kids, you're just helping to have a more harmonious home, more peaceful home, and it can be productive. So I thank you for listening tonight. We have one, maybe two lessons left. Um, what's coming up in the next week or two that we're going to talk about is when you're angry at God and when you're angry at yourself and how to confront an angry person, okay? So those are some things still yet to come. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot just from reading and studying these things. So I appreciate your time and your attentiveness tonight. So I'm going to turn this back to Pastor. Amen. Excellent tools, excellent stuff. If no one ever uses it, share it with a friend. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.